Dave, come on up. They're going to share with us today. I am very excited. How about you? Why don't you give them a hand? A warm welcome. Hi, you guys. We are excited to share. I'm actually very excited for you to mark this day. This is May 15th, 2018, and I believe that it is going to be a day that you will remember. I pray for open hearts and open spirits because two things get to be shared today. The first is I'm adding to the testimonies that Cindy just shared. How many testimonies? Isn't that incredible? God is good. Yes, yes. And five years ago, in this next picture, you'll see what I look like. For those of you who don't know us, this was me just five years ago, suffering with a debilitating neurological condition known as trigeminal neuralgia, also known as a suicide disease. But I stood in this place because of a couple who was obedient to God, Pastor Tim and Fran McCarthy, and now Cindy and Kent, who come week after week because of a friend who's here tonight, Sonia, who brought me here and said, come. So those of you who invite people all the time, great job. Because I was skeptical and not really willing to come on my own. So because of her, because of a woman who drove 13 hours to the state of Michigan to pray for people, because of the team who puts all this together, I stood basically in this spot, received prayer, And because by his stripes, I am healed, I am healed. Five plus years later. So the first thing that we mark this day for is by by the testimony of Jesus Christ, the spirit of prophecy is that he'll do it again, and he'll do it again, and he'll do it again. So the first reason we mark this date, May 15, 2018, is because he's going to do it again. He's going to do it for you, just as he did it for me, because definitely he's no respecter of my person. (laughs) I say that very kiddingly. He quite likes me, so it's okay. (laughs) Right after the healing in the next picture, um, we heard a pastor say that God will give you the ability if you give him your availability. This was by Robbie Dawkins, a pastor in the Vineyard Movement out of Illinois. And my husband and I looked at each other. Our whole life had been dictated by pain. Our whole marriage had been dictated by pain. For those of you who know us, you've heard our story. We looked at each other and we said, hmm, I think we can become available. So we did just that. We sold everything except for a dog, a car, a couple suitcases worth of stuff, and we hit the road for God. And for the last five years, we've been traveling from on mission after mission, assignment after assignment for God. Our first one is in the next picture. It's one of my most favorite pictures because we were down in Brazil um, working, doing construction, basically, at an organization called Esther's Children in Sex Trafficking for Her. And all through the travels, we've just been seeing the Father heart of God. He loves us so much. We've been seeing his work. We've been seeing his miracles. We've been seeing salvations. But we have been on pursuit. We wanted to see who is this God that heals such a skeptic like me. 
And one of the places we went to after this is Africa. Yeah, so we're talking about orphans tonight. And so we have to talk about Iris Ministries because everything we know about orphans, we learned at Iris Ministries, Latin from Annie. Um, so Iris, <laughs> I, we spent, two years ago, we spent 10 weeks in, uh, in Pemba, Mozambique. And if, you don't, if you're not familiar with Iris Ministries, um, it was started by a couple named um, Roland and Heidi Baker. And about 25 years ago, they moved to Africa and just out of, to, you know, to Mozambique, they picked it just because, um, you know, the, w, the WHO said it was the poorest country in the world. And that's why they went there. Yep. And so they, they started just taking in orphans. There was orphans everywhere. Um, and so they've grown over the past 25 years to where they, well, you can see, they've got 32 bases around the world. The two biggest ones and their headquarters are in Mozambique. Um, they feed 20,000 people every day. They have schools with 5,000 students. Um, they, they right now have about 500 orphans. They actually work very hard to not have orphans uh, nowadays. They, they, so they've facilitated 10,000 adoptions. Um, they planted 12,000 churches and, and have seen literally millions of salvations in Mozambique. Millions. And... Um, and they've, you know, they've built hospitals, they drill wells, they, they, they have prison ministries, they, um, uh, you, you name it, you name it, they do it. And um, just an amazing organization, but their heart is, is for orphans. It's, that's kind of the, the core of their ministry. Everything else is stuff they do on the side, to be honest. Um, so we were there. If you go to the, the next slide, um, we went there um, to this this 10-week-long school of missions, which is uh, just where people go who, who are interested in, in mission work, and they have missionaries come from all over the world and teach there. Um, you'll see in, in Pemba, Mozambique, the, re- the reason why there's so many orphans, 45% of the entire population is under 15 years old. There's just kids everywhere. It's crazy. And it's due, due to a lot of things. Um, you know, civil war primarily, um, but, but they've had massive flooding, and, and the, along with the flooding came, you know, cholera and yellow fever and malaria, and, and just millions and millions of people have died, uh, leaving a lot, uh, a lot of orphans. Um, <clears throat> so one thing we learned um, when we were there, Heidi Baker would... would would teach quite often, and, and she would talk about the orphans because she, had, she takes orphans to her house every day. She's always got surrounded by, by you know, a dozen, dozen kids. And she would invite them to her house, and, and she would explain that this is what, what an orphan's like. When they first come over, she'll tell them, you know, get anything you want out of the fridge. And they keep the fridge stocked with Coca-Cola because that's a, that's a big treat there. And, and the kids wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. Like, they'd be afraid to go get a Coke out of the fridge. And then Heidi and Roland would leave the room, and they'd go get, like, five of them. <clears throat> and they would hide them, and they'd stuff them in their bags, and, and they, would, they, they, would, they would be, they would rather steal something than take something that was given to them. And, and partly it's because they didn't trust that it would, that they really could get, take whatever they wanted. And so, you know, they felt like they had to fend for themselves, that they had to, um, 
that it just wouldn't be there next time, even though, you know, they were told, take whatever you want. Um, and so that's part of the, the orphan mentality is this, this hoarding. And there, there's five characteristics of an orphan. If you go to the next slide uh, that they talked about. I mean, obviously we know, you know, no parents. That's kind of the definition. Um, and no real home quite often. Um, but then they, they don't feel loved. Um, they, they hoard. And they live in fear. And it's a fear of, fear of the unknown, fear of want, fear of needing something, fear of the future. And um, prior to us going to Africa, we never would have thought of ourselves as orphans, right? I mean, we have, we both grew up with parents, we, we had, I have a house, but um, we came to realize that, that as they were describing kind of the difference between an orphan and someone who, you know, does grow up knowing their parents, you know, we realize that sometimes we do exhibit those qualities, the, the qualities of the orphan. Um, I, you can tell the story. Of. So uh, a couple of key things started really showing up while we were in Africa. A couple of things that we weren't necessarily understanding about what we were going through. We were feeling really unsettled. And the first one is such a silly example, you guys, but the Mozambican culture is a culture of sharing. Like, they share everything. If you have something, just guarantee everybody's going to have that same something you do because they share. So we didn't quite understand this going into the culture. We're up at the cafeteria having some rice and beans. It's like our second week in. All we've had for all our meals is rice and beans. I'm telling you, it's rice and beans every day. And so uh, we had gotten to go to the grocery store, and I picked up some hot sauce because I'm going to spruce up these rice and beans, right, because it's rice and beans every day. So I, I'm thinking I'm all cool and everything up at the cafeteria. I pull out my hot sauce, giving it a little sprinkle, and the Mozambican next to me is like, oh, mama, eh, me? I'm like, okay, sure. My hot sauce went to so many different Mozambicans. By the time it got back to me, there was no more hot sauce. And my spirit was like, What? That's my hot sauce. What are you guys doing taking all my hot sauce, right? It really got me going, right? That's mine. That's not for all of you guys. And then the worst one, even worse to me at least, was the water situation. We had no running water the whole time we were there. It's about 10 weeks, no running water. And we had a liter and a half. So you guys know what a two liter of pop is, right? Well, minus that by half a liter. And that's how much water we got on a daily basis to bathe in. Right? Thank you for entering in with me to my pain because I have long hair. You cannot get soap out of this hair in a liter and a half of water. I'm telling you, I hoarded my water, right? And if you got to the water truck late because you were in another session, you didn't get water. Water came once a week, and we had these great big old trash can barrels. 
and you had to fill up the barrel, take it all the way back to your cabin. You call it a cabin? I don't know what you called what we lived in, but you take it back, and that's your water for the week. And if you didn't make it to the water truck, no, 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 no water. I was in fear of not getting water. There were several weeks I was like, dang, we got to get up to the water truck. No, hon, we got to get to the water truck. Let's get to that water truck. And not only was I in fear, but I'm hoarding my water. The, the, our can of water sat outside our door. And if somebody came by and wanted some water, ooh, well, I don't know if we're going to have enough. Okay, I guess. And then the hot sauce comes back to haunt me. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, I'm feeling really anxious about what I'm dealing with. I'm feeling anxious about who I am. I'm feeling anxious about the fact that I can't share. I'm feeling anxious about the fact that I'm fearful about water. What is going on that I'm, I'm feeling this way, right? Well, towards the end of school. So I get to go through this all of school until the, the, two, the last two weeks of school. We had this worship pastor come in. His name is Jason Lee Jones. And right now, Jason Lee Jones is in Savannah, Georgia, and he's fighting for his life with esophageal cancer. So even as I speak this, we speak healing over his body in Jesus' name. He completely transformed our hearts and our thinkings because suddenly he put a name to what I was experiencing, and that was an orphan spirit, which I think you're going to tell about. Yeah, I think go to the next slide. Um, yeah, you know, we didn't realize that until he started, he had recently adopted a son. And, and, you know, was telling us all that he had learned going through the process of adoption. Um, and, and about the, I guess, the legal status of, of what happens legally when, when you adopt someone. And, but he was sharing, and he's a pastor, and, and he was sharing um, that he discovered that he, and I, I have never, you know, I, I've read the whole Bible, and I, I've, you, you skip right over it, there is language all throughout, especially the New Testament, over and over and over and over again that talks about us being adopted by God. That, that language, there's a lot of legal language in there about adoption. And so he was comparing the actual legal process of adoption to, to what happens when, when you get saved. And it, it just, it amazed us. I, you know, we didn't realize, and, and we realized that um, we need that because we seem to all be born with this orphan spirit. And, and it's, it's, it's got to do with our relationship with God and how we see God. And whether we see him as a, as a good father or, you know, just an authority figure, right? And so, you know, the characteristics of an orphan spirit are feeling isolated, hiding from God, like, like Adam and Eve did, right, in the Garden of Eden. Um, going to church but not feeling like it's your home. Um, being judgmental over being loving, um, you know, not because you don't feel loved yourself. Um, hoarding. Your, your blessings, we're, we're, you know, we have so many blessings and so much more than most people in the world, and we still hoard them. Um, and, and then that spirit of fear, and, and fear is just pervasive in society. People are afraid of everything. Um, and those are all, um, you know, characteristics of, of orphans, 
that, that we're displaying. So before we leave this slide, I, I just want to point out, that's my liter and a half bottle of water, and that's the water truck. <laughs> that's the water truck. I, I still think about that water truck. Anyways, I'm exhibiting my orphan spirit. No, I've been healed, I promise. So if we think about it, it was really eye-opening to us as Jason was talking about this. And one of the things that really got us is on the next slide, the very first orphan was actually Satan, right? If you think about it, Jesus says in Luke, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan lost his closeness with Father God. Satan was cast out of his heavenly home. He was forever orphaned in that moment. That's hard to realize and to think about. Almost makes you feel bad for Satan, doesn't it? No, maybe not. Because in in the next slide, you'll see... That Satan truly, his desire is for us to continue in this orphan spirit because he, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants us to be away from God. He wants us to be isolated from the love of our Father. He wants us to be isolated from what we would call home. And it's, it's modeled in God's first son. In the next slide, you'll see that Adam... In Luke, it goes through the genealogy, right? And at the very end of the genealogy, it says, Adam, the son of God. He was the son of God. So God created him for this perfect relationship. He created him for love. He created to walk with Adam. And in the Garden of Eden, they got to do that, right? Adam walked in the glory of God. He got to experience that. It says, in the early morning, God and Adam would walk along. Can you imagine that? I'm like, yes, let's go walking, God. Adam had that until the next, in Genesis, in the next slide, they had sin, right? Evil tempted them. They gave in to the sin. And suddenly, the eyes of Adam and Eve were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They hid themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from Lord God among the trees of the garden. Suddenly in that sin brought the orphan spirit. They were isolated from their father. They were even isolated from their home, from their normal routine of their home. And they were fearful. They were shamed and they were fearful. So suddenly the orphan spirit had encompassed them just what evil would like. And so the, the, the story moves on, and evil continues to want and desire that the orphan spirit is what we live in in a day-to-day basis. So even though we have been sent as the children of God, even though we're created as the children of God, 
Evil says, walk in the evil spirit, walk in the orphan spirit. And this really caught me. I, I actually went back to Pastor Jason Lee Jones' te- uh, testimony and teaching, and I wrote this word for word. When we say the definition of an orphan is when one or both parents has died or left, then wouldn't it be true that when we act in the orphan spirit, in essence, we are acting as if God is dead? Whoa. Right? That really caught me. I mean, the definition of an orphan spirit isn't whether or not you grow up with a mom or dad, but how we relate to our father, how we relate to our God, how our God is alive and in us. So God's desire, obviously, God is love. And through the Trinity of God, he is family, right? The Trinity Father, Son, Holy Spirit was family from the very beginning. He's big into family. Amen? And in Genesis, in the next slide, God said, let us, meaning Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fishes, the birds, the livestock, the animals, and all the creatures. So God created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Have families. Fill the earth with my sons and daughters. Have the families. He created us to be his sons and daughters. And John, it immediately goes on. And it says, not only did he just want us to fill the earth, but he wanted us to be families. And so in the next slide, in John, he says, Yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the rights to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but of God. Whoa, I could hardly get over that one, but it continues on. So if we go to the next slide, you'll be able to see that in Romans 8, 14, it says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We are his sons and daughters. Now, if we're the children of God, then And as children, typically children are heirs, right? And it says so in the very next scripture in Romans, in the next slide. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So that got me thinking, well, what does that mean? And so if you look up the definition of an heir in the very next slide, an heir is a person who inherits or has a right of inheritance in the property, power, and authority of another. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't hone in on the power and authority part 
Because that one really got me. Because under God, power and authority, that means all that he has for us. We are heirs of all that he has for us, all of the kingdom that he has for us. And I'm sorry we're in a healing meeting. So that means we have healings. Amen. 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 But if we move on further, how are we heirs? So we're the children of him. But we are heirs, as the next slide says, through adoption. Now, this part really got me. Because adoption, as we'll see in a bit, is choice. When people adopt in the natural, they are choosing that child. They are choosing that life to bring into their family. Well, I was blown away again and again by how many times it says God has adopted us. So if you look in Romans 8.15 in the very next slide, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Just as Cindy talked about last week, we are not slaves. So that you live in fear again, rather the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. He's our Father. And in the very next Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, in the next slide, in love he predestined in love because he loves us. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In love, he has adopted us. And it goes further, Galatians 4. But when in God's plan, the proper time had fully come, God sent his son, that we who believe might be adopted as God's children with all rights, as fully grown members of a family, a son, then also an heir. He chose us, as the next slide says, as adopted, as chosen. And we are chosen for him, with him. So if we look at where he says we are chosen, in the next slide, it goes on. But you are a chosen people. I adopted you. I chose you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We are special. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And in John, it moves on. You did not choose me, he says. Get over that one. Here we all think, oh, Jesus, salvation, I choose you. He says, baby girl. Well, that's what he calls me. Baby girl, you don't understand. You didn't choose me. I choose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
Amen. Amen. And then in the next one, Romans 8, 17. Oh, sorry. It, it goes on then that he chooses us as adopted sons and daughters. So we then took a look at, at J, with Jason Lee Jones, and since then, we've thought about this and taken a look at it. And we're like, well, how, how is this a parallel in the natural? What does that look like? Well, a natural adoption that we would know in the United States of America, uh, generally about 135,000 children are adopted annually. It's life-changing, isn't it? It's like forever transformative for the adoptee, the child, and for the family. It's forever changed. And it forever alters the identity of the child. The identity is completely changed. And especially if you look at the legal language of adoption, which Dave has done. Yeah, so it'll walk you through the, the, the legal language of what it looks like when you adopt someone in the U.S. and or, you know, in, when you're the parent adopting. Um, and some of you may have done this. Um, it, but I think it'll give you some interesting insights into what it really means when God says that he adopts us as, as children. All right, so the first part, uh, when you're being adopted says, uh, the child is hereby declared to be the legal child of the petitioner and is hereby given the name they have chosen, which is the name he shall hereafter be known. Now, if you look at that from a, the standpoint of God, same thing happens. In Genesis 17:5. no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Uh, next slide, uh, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Uh, even, in, uh, even in Revelation 2.17, he says, I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So when God adopts us, he, he changes our name, same as, as what, what happens in the natural world. Uh, the second part of a natural adoption all legal relationships between the adoptee and his birth parents and any blood relatives of the birth parents are terminated by this adoption, which is now final and binding. How does that apply to our relationship with God? Um, it's not, not, we don't terminate the relationship between our earthly parents. We terminate the relationship with our former identity. Okay? And, we, and we get a new identity. If you look at Galatians 2.20 in a supernatural adoption... I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Your old identity is gone. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So in point number three in the legal adoption through the court system in the United States of America, it says, this adoption creates a relationship between the adoptee and the petitioner and all relatives of the petitioner that would have existed if the adoptee were a legitimate 
blood descendant. I, I've often heard different families who may comment where somebody will come up to a family and say, oh, you were so good to adopt that child or, um, you know, how is your adopted son or something like that. And the parents look and they're like, well, that's not my adopted son. That's my son. Because it's as if all of the uh, relatives of the petitioner, everything that existed, if the adoptee were a legitimate blood descendant. Now, in the supernatural world, God goes even one step further. Because he not only gives us as if the blood descendant, the bloodline, but he actually gives us Holy Spirit. So it's even one step further. Do you not know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. It goes even further than the bloodline. It goes even further than blood. So in the natural world, point number four, the adoptee shall be a legal heir of the petitioner entitled to all rights and privileges thereof. And the petitioner shall hereafter assume legal responsibilities of the parent-child relationship. Now imagine what God says about that one. Again, bringing up Romans. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Can you imagine we are co-heirs with Christ? All that God has given his son, Jesus Christ, all the kingdom that he has provided for his son, Jesus Christ, we get. We are co-heirs of Jesus Christ. And it goes even further in Matthew. If we look at Matthew, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Our inheritance is the kingdom. God's kingdom is our inheritance. If we get this, if we know it like we know it like we know it, then there should be no question of us asking for healing. If we know it like we know it like we know it, then there is no question of God's love for us. If we know it like we know it like we know it, then we no longer have to live in the fear that we talked about last week because we are the sons and daughters of our Father God. We are the sons and daughters of Papa God because he is the supernatural father who has adopted us for all eternity. It's even all eternity. Does that blow your mind? It's not even just for today. So if we walked in with an identity, I I tell you guys, I walked into this room at least three or four times. Three times with you, Sonia, probably. Another time on my own. I walked in this room five years ago in 2012. 
with an identity of a sick person. That's who I was. I was a sick person. I was being told to go on disability. I'm not knocking disability if any of you are on disability. But for me, that was an identity. I was a sick person. I was not a daughter. My pet name is baby girl. I didn't have baby girl on me. I was a sick person. I did not know that I was a daughter of the king with the inheritance of the kingdom. How did you walk in here today? Are you like Bartimaeus? He had a cloak on. Remember in Matthew, he's got a cloak. I think it's Matthew. Forgive me if it's not, please, theology majors. He had a cloak on. He's blind. He's a beggar. His cloak identified him as a blind beggar. So that way he could get money to survive on. They didn't have social security disability back in Jesus' day. They had begging. So he puts the cloak on. He's a blind beggar with that cloak. So he calls out to Jesus, son of David. And Jesus says, yes. Barnabas stepped up and tore off his cloak and went to Jesus. He tore off that identity to go to his father and say, heal me. And he was healed. And it goes just the other way. Did you walk in hiding something from God? Did you walk in like Adam where you're putting fig leaves on you and you're hiding in the bushes from God? Did you walk in brokenhearted? Did you walk in with rejection? Did you walk in with a hoarding, with a fear of the future, not knowing what is next? Did you walk in with fear of pain, fear of sickness? Did you walk in with not even an understanding of who you are because you've been told time and time and time again that you aren't worthy? that you are nothing, that you're like a dog in the street. What did you walk in here with your identity that needs to go in the name of Jesus? So if you bear with me, if you can stand, please please do so or get in a posture of receiving. Because I would love to put a degree over you, a certificate of adoption. On this day, May 15th, 2018, you get to be formally adopted into God's kingdom with our Father God. So just receive. You don't have to do anything else. If you bow your heads, close your eyes, and enter into the secret place that you go to be with God. Enter into that place where you can see him. And he's lovingly waiting there for you. Enter into that place where he beckons you and welcomes you and says, come. And I thank you, Father God, for opening hearts 
for opening spirits even as we speak to your invitation of adoption. I thank you, Father God, that veils are dropped, that fig leaves are removed, and that cloaks are forever gone as we all take on your invitation to be chosen by you, your invitation of adoption. So as we read through this, Father God, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for anointing this afresh, anew, on each and every heart that each person knows like they know, like they know that this adoption is done. It is complete in the heavenlies of Father God. And so the heavenly Father hereby signifies a legal decree that you are adopted into his family. This adoption is permanent, binding, and cannot be undone. All rights and privileges of the Heavenly Father, as stated below, are here and now released. Rights and privilege number one, the child is hereby declared under this open heaven to be the legal child of petitioner father God and is hereby given the name son or daughter of the most high God. Number two, all legal relationships between the adoptee and his or her old nature and any sins of the past are terminated are terminated by this adoption, which is now final and binding through the blood of Jesus Christ. Number three, this adoption creates a relationship between the adoptee and God the Father and all relatives of God the Father that would have existed if the adoptee were a blood Descendant of God. Number four, the adoptee shall be a legal heir of the most high God. Entitled to all rights and privileges. And God the Father shall hereafter assume all responsibilities. This is done and ordered in heaven and on earth in the chambers of the Most High God and here at Jesus the Healer in Rochester, Michigan on this day, May fifteenth, two 2018. I thank you, Father God. I thank you for choosing us. I thank you for choosing us as your sons and daughters, that you love us so much, that you are love, that you would overwhelmingly pour out your love 
and choose us. Little old us. I thank you that through that choice, through our adoption as your son, as your daughter, that we inherit all that you have for us and that we are not bashful about grabbing it and taking it, that we'll take every Coca-Cola you present to us. Thank you, Father God, that you have come not just to heal us with the beating that you took, not even just to save us from our sins, but to choose to love us. In your most precious name, we forever praise you and say thank you. In Jesus' name, we seal this adoption. And we all say, Amen. Amen. And as we seal this, we're going to worship now with the song that we closed with last week, just to put the mark on it. No longer slaves, for we truly are no longer slaves, for we are his child. So as we go into worship with Kent playing the music, if you can just be ever-present with Father God and thankful for all that he is doing. In his name, amen. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me. 